the big thing is, if I could put it in a one phrase, it's be your own credential. Now, what that really means is don't leave it to fate or don't wait and rely on things that are out of your control. Well, I did the best I could. I sent in my application. I guess I just wait and hope to get picked. Flip that mindset and say, I'm in the driver's seat. I'm going at this thing with an experimental mindset, a playful mindset. I'm going to be the one that's initiating, that's trying stuff, that's taking feedback or lack of feedback and adapting, adjusting my pitch, learning how to make myself more valuable. I'm going out and saying, here we go, world. I'm coming for you rather than I checked off all the boxes. Now I just wait for somebody to give me a call. Thanks for pressing play. That voice you just heard is my friend, Isaac Morehouse, who's the founder and CEO of Crash and the author of a wonderful new book called Crash Your Career. And this is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real conversations that celebrate the people, ideas, and companies that stand out. As usual, we're sponsored by the good folks at Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today and set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry at netsuite.com slash different. And I also want to tell you about my friends at Bottleneck Virtual Assistants. One thing you can't get back is time. And so given that, why not harness the power of a virtual assistant to free you up to focus on more high-impact activities and let them take over managing some of your basics? So uh, why not get back some time and check out bottleneck.online today. I also want to make you a promise about any sponsorships you hear on this podcast. You will never hear a sponsor read in the middle of a dialogue. They'll either be at the end or the beginning, but I promise you will always have uninterrupted conversations with our guests. Now, on this episode, a powerful conversation with a guy who's become a buddy of mine on how to start or restart your career. His name is Isaac Morehouse, and he's the founder of Praxis. He's been on before. This is his second visit, and he's got a new business called Crash. And uh, I'm proud to be the author of the foreword to his new book, and I've also become an advisor to his company. And the reason I've gotten so involved with Isaac and his team is because I believe in uh, doing everything possible to help people design their legendary career. And I also believe that technology can play a major role in that. And I also love the fact that Isaac's businesses focus primarily, not exclusively, but primarily on younger people and helping them get an amazing start to their careers. And all those things fire me up. So on this episode, we dig into his new book and we uh, talk about how to discover the right role for yourself how to build the right skills to fulfill those roles, and when you go out into the job world, how to cut through the noise and get the job of your dreams. Um, go to lockhead.com for the key takeaways and show notes for this episode and learn how to get your hands on Isaac's wonderful new little book uh, called Crash Your Career. Now, hey-ho, let's go. So Isaac Morehouse, you wrote this awesome new book. Uh, yeah, there's actually uh, the thing I'm most excited about is the foreword of the book. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that's probably the worst part of the book. <laughs> no, your, story, your, your story is hard to top, Chris. Yeah, this, uh, 
this little pocketbook uh, crash your career is um, it's kind of uh, the the most condensed version you know I sort of can come up with to get across a mindset and a way of thinking about career launch um, that I'm really passionate about and that I think young people have got to have got to connect to or they're going to get left behind. Absolutely. And I want to get into the meat of it, uh, of course, because I love this little pocketbook. And I think every young person, I'm going to give it to every young person I know. Um, But I also just want to say off the top, what I love about what you're doing is you are executing genius category design. And as part of category design, I I encourage entrepreneurs and and business leaders to have a manifesto, right? And in in many ways, this is the manifesto for the raison d'etre for your company. You want to help people, you know, break into their careers, start strong in a way that, you know, traditional education in some cases doesn't allow them to. And you took the time to be very thoughtful and write out the manifesto for why you want to launch your career the right way and how you can crash onto the scene. <laughs> and just as an entrepreneur, you know, putting, putting your real vision, what I would call your point of view, into a consumable piece of content that people could get fired up about is just is a brilliant business thing that you're doing, in my opinion. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's sort of two reasons that decided to, to come out with this little pocketbook sort of congruent with getting this company off the ground. And one of them is heavily influenced by you, your book, Play Bigger. Um, putting, putting things that I sort of was sniffing around, had little gut senses about, putting into words this idea of category design um, in a way that was so much better than just sort of cheesy stuff you hear about, like, be an influencer in your field, be a thought leader. Like, it, it made sense. It was coherent. <laughs> um, that was a big part of it. And the other part is, it's kind of congruent with the way that I, uh, that I work anyway. I'm, I'm a really big ideas person, and I think out loud. Like the way that I process ideas is by talking about them and by writing about them. Like I blog every day that helps me process what's going on internally. And to get something out there, it's like, that's the first step for me to say, okay, I've got an idea. Can I explain it? And if I can explain it, then maybe there's a chance I can build it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And I love that you did that because the truth is writing a book like this forces you to get clear, uh, forces you to get out of your, you know, I know you're a super creative guy and you, like me, have ADHD and you can chase rabbits down zebra holes and, and you have a very big vision and there's lots of ways you could talk about that vision and all that. And so when you commit to writing a book, um, you know, it forces you to get out of that sort of undisciplining and get very, very focused on, okay, well, what do we mean when we say we want to help people uh, launch their careers in a whole new powerful way and use this technology. And, you know, it, it forces a level of discipline, particularly for, for those of us who are a little more on the creative side and maybe a little less on the discipline side to, to make our ideas concrete and sort of pressure test ourselves and make sure we're not full of shit and, and focus ourselves. And, and, and anyway, I don't want to put words in your mouth. That's how it's been for me with, with writing, whether it's been manifestos in the past when I was a CMO or, or more recently with my books. But I'm curious, as a super creative guy with a really big vision and a lot of those awesome entrepreneurial um, um, traits, uh, how's it been for you to kind of get yourself this focused? Yeah. Um, 
it's been a challenge in the best of ways. Um, you know, pr- previous to to getting to launching Crash, I was running. You know, got this Praxis apprenticeship program off the ground and was running that and and kind of bootstrapping a service oriented company. There's a lot of wiggle room and a lot of scope when you're delivering a service to someone because if you're like if if there's 20 things that come in the bundle of the service and 10 of them are are subpar you can sort of like quickly make up for it by just jumping on the phone and giving them a call or delivering in some other thing now trying to go to actually create a platform to create crash as a career launch platform and to and to sort of productize some of these ideas behind career launch the amount of focus required i feel like from the day we got this thing underway all i've done is whittle down and tighten up what are we trying to do? What are we starting with? How, what's the wedge that we're going to market with that's just very clear that says, here's what we have to help you. And I think that transition from the, the book is actually a great outlet because it kind of allows you, the product is really tight, but the book allows you to, to put it in a little bit of that philosophy and to sort of surround it with some ideas. One of the, I know you've had on your podcast before, a uh, really inspiring company that I think is, has sort of given a great roadmap on how to do this well is Drift, where, you know, their product, it's like a chat app more or less, right? And, but it's, it's more than that. But if you were to just go to market and say, here's this product, it's like, oh, okay. It's like a sales scheduling chat app sort of thing. Okay. That's neat. But instead they start with, here's this idea for a new category. It's called conversational marketing. And let us tell you about what it is. And now once we've helped you understand why we could possibly be so passionate, here's the first tool that we're offering to help you, right? The tool is simple, but it comes from a profound idea. And I think that's a really cool model to be able to bring the ideas out with a book and then say, and here's our way of helping you implement them with a simple tool to start. Yes. Yeah, very, very powerful. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more on the Drift guys. I mean, it, I have hardly kept it a secret. My admiration for uh, David Cancel and uh, Dave Gerhardt and the entire team there has have done as legendary a job in category design, product design, and company design in the enterprise space as, as anybody I've seen of late. And um, it looks like they're on an incredible path, and I admire the shit out of them. And I think they're all... You know, you know what I love? They're teaching me shit too. Yeah. Right? Those guys are awesome. And so I just, and I, and look, I am a person who is made insanely happy when I see entrepreneurs who are doing cool shit that makes a difference, that's truly innovative, and they figured out how to bring it to the world in a powerful way and then begin to scale it. And that's what those guys are doing. I want to see more of that in the world. So I agree with you. And I, I, I love, you know, I'm very grateful to be involved um, with your business and to be on the team. And I, I love that you've written this book and I'm, I'm stoked to be part of this book. So let's unpack it. If I'm a young person and I'm saying, okay, I'm trying to, trying to figure out if I can find my place or maybe I need to make my place, whatever it is, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get my feet on the ground here. I want to do something legendary. I don't want to suck in my life, but I'm not <laughs> sure what to do and I'm not sure maybe is traditional education for me or maybe it's not or, you know, these are huge questions that, uh, you know, you get faced with at somewhere between, you know, 16 to 25 or maybe you call it 15 to 25. There's a 10 year period where you got to sort some stuff out. You know, Professor Scott Galloway, who um, 
who we have on an upcoming episode, says, you know, in that time period, that sort of 25-year-old time period is the shit gets real time period in young people's lives. lives. And so if I'm in that part of my life, or maybe I love some young people who are in that part of their life, and I say to you, hey, Isaac, you've been thinking about this, you've been working on this for a long time, what, what should I be thinking about to have a legendary start? Yeah, that's, that's the question. So when it comes to career launch, getting that first real step on your career, that's what we're really focused on. Because once you get that, once you kind of get into orbit, so to speak, things get a lot easier and you can build on that. But that first step is the biggest sort of chasm to cross. So we focus on three things. If you can discover some roles that might be a decent fit, if you can build a profile of skills that showcase your ability in those roles, and if you can tailor a pitch to each specific company you go after, discover some roles, build a profile, tailor a pitch. If you can do those three things, your career launch prospects are going to be pretty freaking awesome. And we can, we can go into in more detail what those three things mean. And that's really kind of the contents of this pocketbook is talking about you know, that process. So I just want to make sure I got them here. Discover roles. And what I hear when you say that, well, let me just get the three. Discover roles, get some skills, and then tailor your pitch so that you can, what I would call, get your foot in the door. Is that how it's? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So on the discover roles thing, this is an interesting topic for me because um, you've helped remind me that when you're 18 or 22 or wherever you are as a young person, you don't even know that. I'll pick one out of the air. Sales ops is a thing. Yep. Right? Or or or, or internal enablement and training or 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 whatever. You don't you don't know how how a fucking company operates, right? And so so when you're ignorant of that, I don't mean ignorant in a bad way, you, you're just you're 17 or you're 22 or you, you don't you don't know how companies work and you don't know that these roles exist. And so um maybe help me understand how I begin to learn about these roles and then as I learn about these roles, I'm also trying to figure out, am I not, even before I get to skills, hmm, do I see myself maybe in one of these roles? Am I a sales ops guy? Am I an enablement gal? Am I a marketing whatever? So, so help me with A, discovering the roles, and then B, as I'm discovering roles, you know, it's like, oh, do I like, do I like wearing jeans or do I like wearing, you know, <laughs> shorts or whatever? You know, how, how, as, I, as I'm looking at them, how do I compare myself to them and begin to think about them? And then we'll get to maybe the skills. Yeah. And that discovery part, I think, is the greatest source of stress for young people. And they tend to want to just take activities that kind of defer that longer and longer because it's like the idea of sort of what do you want to be when you grow up? Like once you name it, you feel trapped, you feel pigeonholed, or even people asking you, what's your passion? How, you know, follow your passion. Well, now I got to figure out what my passion is. And I'm 18 and I've never even done anything in the world. So how am I supposed to know? So the, the, the way that I like to look at it is it's like a funnel and every step in your life, you should be moving in that funnel to like where the, the edges of the funnel are like, hey, don't go beyond this, right? And those will get narrower and narrower as you go. So 20 years down the line, like for you, Chris, the, the number of roles you could take that would be a good fit for you is relatively small. You have sort of specialized, you've learned a lot about yourself, what you like. But when you, when you start off that first discovery, you know, sort of phase of your career to get launched, 
I like to flip it from find what you love or what you like and flip it to the opposite and say, let's just start by eliminating a few things. So eliminate things that you absolutely hate and eliminate things that you absolutely suck at. Like if you know that you are, you know, like me, I'm not a technical person. I knew that I was not going to go into anything involving coding or uh, I'm not a real hands-on guy. I knew I wasn't going to go into, you know, anything mechanical. So that leaves a whole bunch of stuff. And anything that's not in that stuff I hate and stuff I suck category is fair game. And the only way to know what is a really good fit is to try anything that's not a really bad fit. Whatever the best opportunity is that's in that sort of... Yeah, go ahead. Can I slow you down? Say that again for me so that that one gets in the database. (laughs) The, The best way to find out what is a good fit is to try anything that's not a bad fit. Anything that's not a bad fit. So there. So let me see if uh, maybe there's, uh, you know, my brain thinks in buckets on this stuff. So there's stuff yep. that I know that isn't me. And you just mentioned some that aren't you. And I have, it's very, there's a long list of shit that isn't me either, right? <laughs> and then there's some shit that maybe I think might be me, but I'm not sure. And what you're saying is in that bucket of, I don't know if this is me or not. I know I don't hate it or I don't, I, there's some maybe I don't know if I'm attracted to it, but there's some, you know, there's a curiosity I might feel about it, but I don't know. So, so we start with the stuff that we get rid of the stuff that we know is not us. And then we start playing with the stuff that might be us. Exactly. Exactly. And I think if you can, if you can get to, you introduce one third category and you get your nice little Venn diagram, right? So you've got, okay, stuff that I hate, let's remove that stuff that I absolutely suck at. Let's remove that. And then the third one is stuff that the market values. Okay, I want to find anything that's valued by the market that I don't hate and that I don't suck at. And so that's a lot of things. That's a good one right there. Right, because you could say, okay, well, I don't hate surfing and I don't suck at it. Um, Will someone pay me to surf as an amateur right now today? Well, no, there's probably not a lot of value to that. Maybe if you become an expert, but if you're looking for that first role, you, you need to add that. What is, what is something that the market actually values? And, and this if is you, why I can't stand this follow your passion bullshit. I'm passionate about surfing. Not only is no one going to pay me to surf, no one's even going to watch me surf. <laughs> My and, wife and, doesn't watch me surf. My mom doesn't give a shit. Nobody. My buddies maybe cheer me into a wave, but nobody is excited about watching me surf the way they're excited about watching Kelly Slater surf, right? So, right. And so, you know, this huge idea of like, no, we bring our passion, and in this case, and you, you, you direct me here, Isaac, yep. to something that I can develop a skill set around. And, and what, I love what you said here, that the market values. Yep. Yeah. So like for me, my very earliest as a teen before sort of real professional jobs, it was like, okay, well, I don't hate being around people and talking to them and doing basic grunt work. I'm not terrible at it. And this grocery store is willing to pay me to bag people's groceries and carry them out to the car. Why would I? Okay, I'll take it. Right. And as I work there, I'm exposed to a lot of the parts of the store and I realize, okay, I don't want to be a cashier and I don't want to be a manager of a grocery store. 
because I saw that process. I learned about it. Cool. I picked up a few things. I might want to manage a different kind of company because I was exposed to the concept of management generally. I learned a few things. I narrowed a little bit. But I only, you only get that knowledge from taking that first step. You know, the thing, the thing that's a perfect fit for you, if you ever find you know, the one true thing, if there is such a thing, it's probably something that doesn't exist yet anyway. It's probably something that you've never heard of or that hasn't been invented yet. And the way to get to it is to start experimenting, right? You learn by doing, like dabble a little bit. Okay, well, there's no reason that I think I would be terrible at sales, let's say. And I, there's no reason that I think I absolutely hate it. I'm kind of competitive and outgoing. All right, I'll take this internship at a, as a sales development intern at this company. And I'll see what, what, how it goes. And maybe in the process of that, I'm exposed to marketing. And I didn't know about all the stuff that people do in marketing. And maybe I find out that I want to pursue that a little bit more. But you got to take those steps and not stress about making that first job. That's not going to define who you are. That's just what's the best opportunity in front of me that's not terrible. As long as it's not moving you away from, you know, it's moving you away from a version of yourself that you're, that's acceptable, then it's, it's worth taking a shot and go at it and try to crush it. And that's how you'll learn what's, what's the next step. Well, and the other thing I love about what you're saying is part of it's just getting in the game, right? Yes. Like, what do people pay other people for? And the minute you get your first paycheck for doing some, you know, let's call it business-oriented work, um, you go, oh, somebody paid me to show up at the office and, you know, do these sales calls or to help, you know, with this finance project or whatever the fuck it was, right? But you realize, oh, wait a minute, I did a set of things and somebody valued those things and now I can buy groceries. That's a big learning. Like, you know, because as George W. Bush so famously said, sometimes it can be hard to put food on your family. And so (laughs) figuring out what is the shit that I might be able to do based on, to your point, the roles that I've discovered that exist that I don't know if I love them, but I know that maybe they're of interest. It's worth trying. And then all of a sudden I learn, hey, wait a minute, I can put food on my family if I do this. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, people people often say, I don't know what I want. I don't don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. And I always say, well, do you know what you don't want? They go, oh yeah, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like this, I don't like that. And the aha for me on this, Isaac, is, well, if you know what you don't want, somewhere inside you, you're comparing it to something you know you do want, even if you can't articulate it. Because if you, if you don't want something, it must mean you want something, because the only way you d- know that you don't want it is because you're comparing it to something that you want, even if you don't know that you're doing that comparison. <laughs> yep. Is yep. this making any sense? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's like... Well, I don't know which direction I want to go in. Well, it's a lot easier to steer a moving vehicle than a parked vehicle, right? Like, start going somewhere. And you'll, I, I, like the, I like the phrase that you use, though, get in the game. There's, you could use that in, in two, two relevant analogies that I think help in thinking about career. So let's take basketball, a basketball game, right? If you've never played and you're like, well, I'm going to study it for a while and decide do I want to be a point guard or a power forward? Do I want to be a rebounding specialist? You spend all this time to decide what you're going to be. And then you go out for the team and try to play. It's like, well, no, just get on the court, start playing. And then you'll find out if you're like me, wait a minute, I have one thing that I do on the court that people value that I'm good at. And that is 
abusing the guy I'm defending and getting five fouls, you know? So like, Hey, I was the guy you put in to, <laughs> to go, you know, maybe be you're the, Dennis Rodman and you should wear exactly. <laughs> I specialized or you could use the, the dating analogy, right? The dating game. Like if you spend all your time on the sidelines, you're not going out and meeting anybody and you're just defining and trying to come up with who's the perfect woman or man for you. And you never go out there and then you define them. And then it's like, great, now I have to find this person. It's like, well, you don't know enough yet. If you've never dated, never met anyone, get out there. If you know a couple things that you don't like in a person, avoid those. But otherwise, start talking to people. Start getting to know people. You'll, you'll learn over time. You know, you got to get some reps in. Well, it's funny you mentioned the dating thing. I, you know, I think about this a lot because, of course, uh, I'm not in this world. I'm an incredibly married guy. But um, I think about these profiles and all these questions that you have to answer and what you like and what you don't like. And a lot of them seem super surfacey to me. And if I were to go through the surfacey things that I think a lot of these dating apps ask you, and I think about those same surfacey things for my wife, we don't match up on paper on a whole <laughs> lot of them, like a whole lot of them. And, and none of them are relevant. And so to your point, you got to get in the game and, and talk to people and, you know, there is an, al- an analysis by paralysis. And so if I'm a young person and I'm in that first stage of how do I discover roles? How do I discover the kinds of yeah. things that happen inside a corporation that maybe areas where I, as I move to the next step, which is develop some skills, you know, how do I, how do I even do the discovery? Yeah. So the, I think I, I like to think in pretty large buckets and this is sort of the way that we, that we frame it at crash is and we, we boil them down to a very small number of buckets. So roles that are technical, coding, you know, heavy on some specific technical skills, um, that's kind of one bucket. And if you know you're that kind of person, you know, then anything that, that is in that bucket is something you can look at. Uh, for non-technical, and, and technical roles can, can be, there's subsets of that for sure, like there are technical marketing roles and whatever, but I'd start with that. So if you're a technical person or a non-technical, if you're non-technical, just a couple of real basic buckets like sales, marketing, operations is kind of a giant catch-all that I use for stuff that's like, hey, you're doing behind the scenes stuff, usually involves a level of organization, attention to detail. This would be maybe somebody who at an entry level, you're doing event planning or scheduling type stuff. Um, you know, tracking various uh, metrics and things like that. And if you can kind of look at like sales, marketing, operations, customer service as like entry-level non-technical roles in sort of the professional world, really big buckets, but you can kind of look at those and say, okay, if I'm like empathetic and more patient with people, um, customer service is something that I don't want to say no to. That might be a good fit. doesn't mean you have to say yes to it, but if I'm comfortable. I'm fairly outgoing. I'm communicative, maybe a little competitive. Um, I, I don't, I don't get destroyed by rejection. Don't, don't rule out sales. That could be a great bucket to, to, to look at as an entry level role. Marketing again, if I have, there's different kinds of marketing, more analytical type, uh, which is more of the scientist sort of person who likes to test and measure. And then the more creative type, you're maybe a designer or you like to write, you know, there's a lot of different things that might be a good fit. And again, this doesn't mean you're going to start out Someone's going to hire you to be a designer or a copywriter from day one. But if you put yourself in like that broad bucket, um, and then you just can kind of play around looking, looking, Googling around some of these role buckets, marketing, sales, customer service, operations, technical roles, right? And 
you'll start to see certain labels and things emerge. And you don't need to worry too much about getting pigeonholed there, but this is where, the, this is where there's a giant gap that, that we're calling this career launch category. Companies do a really poor job of framing the roles they're hiring in language that speaks to the, the personality type and interests of the, of the candidate. They frame them in insider lingo, right? Role titles are created to make sense within the organization, and they don't always make sense to outsiders. Once you've been in the professional world, you get it. You know what all these different roles mean. But on the outside, you know what a sales development representative means? That means nothing to you, right? And so it it takes a little work, but I, I would say not to get distracted by the title, but to kind of create a few big buckets. And again, start with stuff that you know you don't that you don't like. If you know that you're painfully shy and you just don't want to do something where you're on the phone all the time, then you're going to say, I'm, I'm going to stay away from things probably with the word sales in it. If you know you're not technical at all, you're going to stay away from things that have those. But that leaves a whole lot of stuff that's kind of left there. And I think it's, it's really the process then of, okay, anything that's within that, I'm going to treat as a viable opportunity. And that's where to sort of my third point here, right? Discover roles, build a profile, tailor a pitch. When you come to tailoring a pitch to a specific company, that's where you'll start to learn a lot more detail about those roles. And we can, we can get to that. But I don't like to get too specific early right. on. Just like to kind of eliminate a few giant buckets of things. And so let's say, you know, let's say I do that work and maybe I'm gravitating towards um, customer support or sales mm-hmm. ops or whatever the thing is. Um, and so, so I identify uh, sales ops. Um, how do I then develop a set of skills that allows me to get an entry level sales ops job? Now, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm some, somewhere in between, right? I'm a little bit analytical, but I like the sales side and whatever it is. And so I, I'm attracted to that for whatever reason. Uh, and of course I, I have to say it cause I just think it's so fucking funny that scene in, uh, Napoleon Dynamite, you know, both staff skills, girls like guys with skills, nunchuck skills. <laughs> I forget what the other on his list are, but uh, Bo so, Staff. Bo Staff? <laughs> yeah. Is it Bo Staff? I think so. How, so. Do, I, how do I develop nunchucks, nun, nunchucks skill? I'll say that three times fast. <laughs> yeah. And that's a great question. So there's, uh, there's two things to keep in mind for the, for the, you know, we call it a profile of skills because it's, it's about having the skills, but it's also about proving that you have the skills. You have to have some way to sort of show that, to demonstrate that. So on the one hand, you don't have to stress too much if you're at the entry level. You don't need to have a really, really high level of skills. On the other hand, the skills you do have, they have to be relevant from the perspective of the hirer. So if, you're, if you are like, hey, here's what I've got. I've got nunchuck skills, right? And they're like, well, how does that help me in, in sales ops? So if you can, and, I, and I'll tell you like sort of how to go about it on your own, but this is part of what we are building with the platform is some, some aid to help people connect their personality to the roles and skills needed for those roles. So say it is sales ops, um, you know, or customer service. If you can do some Googling around some of those roles and go look at some different job postings, people list and whatever, and see what are, what are you seeing coming up or even just Google what kind of software tools are used uh, in these roles. So you want to know kind of the tools of the trade, and then you want to know sort of the general skills and traits that are necessary. So you might find for sales ops, it's, hey, you got to be really conversant in spreadsheets, 
right? To people who are fairly a couple years in their career, that sounds like a no-brainer. But young people often have never really used any anything like a spreadsheet. Like the ability to just sort data in different ways, um, simple ways, doesn't have to be really complicated. Um, probably something like Salesforce, which is a software tool that pretty much every sales role uh, uses. Um, for sales ops, it could be one of those types where you're doing like research or sorting leads and trying to to decide how good these are as uh, potential customers that your sales team is going to reach out to. So if you can demonstrate that you have some sort of critical thinking, organization, research skills. So you can find a couple things, a few pieces of software. You can say, oh, I'm familiar. I went and uh, I went through a, a tutorial on Salesforce. I know the basics. Or I found somebody who has it and I asked them if they let me use it and show me a few things. I'm familiar with Salesforce. I can do, I can do stuff on a spreadsheet and I have great organization skills, right? You find a couple of those skills that are relevant to the role and you find a way to prove it, right? A great, a, a great way with software skills, for example, is like a two minute video where you share your screen, you go to Loom or whatever, and you do a screen share. And it's like, hey, I just want to walk through my basic competency of Salesforce. Here's me creating a new record. Here's me doing whatever. Now, that's not anything that's going to blow anyone away, but it signals to them two things. One, that you've got some basic things from day one that they're not going to have to teach you. But two, it signals that you're paying attention, that you're listening, that you took the time to figure out what mattered to them. And if we go back to this dating analogy, and this is really going to play in into the, the, the third step, which is tailor a pitch. When you focus on the other person, you win. So if you enter the job market with a, here's 10 reasons I'm hireable mindset, that's not nearly as attractive as hey, here's three reasons I'm really interested in your company. Here's something that I know that you care about that I find interesting, right? And so if you took the time to figure out some software tools, you don't even have to get it right, for example. Like if you're going for a marketing role and you say, hey, I learned how to use HubSpot. And they're like, okay, well, we use Marketo, but I'm still impressed that you know how to use any marketing automation software. So that signals something to me. Yeah, that, that makes a ton. I love that because... Google around, look for these these roles, and then go straight to, instead of how do I get skills, go straight to, well, what are the tools? And then how do I build skills around those tools? Uh, I really like that. I also wanted to ask you, Isaac, what about mindset? So on one hand, skills matter a ton, right? Numchuck skills. So I got to get that. But, you know, the other thing that I find is a lot of legendary companies, they, if they're, I think, and I'm no HR expert, but... I think if they're really smart, they're looking at skill set fit. You know, can this person do these things? That matters a lot. But I don't know. You tell me. I think maybe even more so today. Mindset matters a lot. Um, you know, am I committed to being a legendary employee? Am I committed to improving myself and the company? Am I a team-oriented person? Do I the good old-fashioned stuff? Do I show up on time? Am I bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? You know, I tell young people all the time. I don't care what you get hired for. You know, you're you're a junior analyst in sales ops. Well, you get there early before other people. You do everything, no matter what it is. You say yes, sir, and you get on that thing and you do it to the best of your ability. You wash those M MF and dishes like nobody ever washed those dishes right and 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 when you're that person even if you only have a very small number of the list of skills but you you bring this attitude and you're you, you're committed to your learning and you're committed to your point to, to the things that matter to the company not so much to yourself and you're on the team and you know good 
hygiene around being a legendary contributor. Um, so how do you think about that stuff? Yeah, that is absolutely crucial. In fact, we did a, we did a study with a bunch of um, businesses, a bunch of hiring managers to kind of tease out what are the things that matter to them in these entry-level roles. Uh, the number one thing, adaptability. Number two, communication skill. Number, they were like the top five were all soft skills before anybody got to any sort of hard skill or technical tool. And so you're absolutely right. If you can take, and, and here's the thing that a lot of people, a lot of young people don't appreciate. They don't appreciate how valuable what they already have is on the market. Like you have traits and abilities that someone somewhere values. You may not know that. And so if you can try to think through a little bit, like what are things that come easily to me? Like when I'm together with my friends, what do I always end up doing well? Or what are the, what's the role I play when I go to a job or I'm in a group or whatever? You know, maybe you're the person who is very conciliatory and you end up helping people, you know, settle differences. And if you can sort of think about that, instead of going the resume route where you just list it, like leadership skills, you know, people person. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. You just made that up. If you can say, can I turn that into a sort of what we call like proof of work to borrow a term from, from the cryptocurrency world? Like, can I prove this in some tangible way? So maybe I could say, you know, I ran this, uh, I ran this, this volunteer fundraiser at my youth group and, you know, I, everyone was fighting about X, Y, and Z, and I came up with a compromise, whatever. And you've got some sort of, maybe it's a blog post, maybe it's a short video, maybe it's a project you put together. And if you have a way to say, hey, I'm really good at this, here's a way for me to prove it, right? Here's a way to demonstrate this ability. If you think about ways to demonstrate those soft skills, another one is just like persistence. So we had somebody who, who um, looked at a, a candidate and we're working with people helping them sort of build these profiles. And he said, yeah, this guy had no sales experience at all, but he gave himself a challenge to publish a blog post every day for 30 days. And he did it. And he's like, that, that's actually really hard to do, to show up every day and click publish, especially when you got some tiny blog that nobody's reading. That's the exact same kind of mentality that you need to come in and be willing to reach out to people doing cold sales every single day, even if you may not get returns and it's not necessarily psychologically rewarding. And the ability to signal traits, soft traits, by, by sort of taking some experiences you've already had and teasing out what they demonstrate as well as saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you my ability to do this by giving myself a challenge. That would be very hard to do if I didn't have that trait, so to speak. Yeah. You know, I, I talked to some hiring managers and, and business leaders who say, by way of example, they look for people who are athletes. Yeah. And if you were a good high school or college athlete, that tells me something. And so, so what you're saying is demonstrate that type of skill, e even if it's not a direct corollary. Or and if you're not athletic, that's fine. Maybe maybe to your point, you did something great with your youth group or your church group or or you know whatever it is. It, it might even be a family thing. Maybe you organized some fam. You know, if you're you, you mentioned event planner, well, you know, maybe you, maybe you organized your 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 dad's big super ding dong birthday party or you know it, it, sometimes. If we're young, we may not have a long list of things along those lines that we've achieved, but there's, there's got to be a couple things we can point to that, that might, might connect. And, and you're advocating doing, those, doing that thinking and making those connections. Yeah, absolutely. The, the number of people I meet that, you know, they tell me, oh, I'm really passionate about travel and travel planning or whatever. And I Google them and I find nothing that would ever indicate that to me. And I say, well, man, how do you expect, like, 
to get opportunities if you have no way, no one would ever know that about you. You can just tell them, but if they don't know you, what would they, what if you were like, hey, I wrote a Medium article that was my 10-step process for getting my friends a eight-day trip to Italy planned flawlessly. And you just walk through what you did. That alone is like, oh, this person has a high level of organization skill, a creativity, whatever. If you're going to do a job that requires some organization attention to detail and you say like, hey, here's a little thing that I did one time, I'm going to be like, oh, wow, that's actually... uh, that's actually kind of cool, right? That's kind of rare. So kind of, we felt like learning out loud, working out loud, finding ways to show your work and, and especially around some of those traits. And the more you can sort of identify what traits are more relevant to what roles, the more you can build a profile of skills that, that helps signal that. And this ties to something, you know, that you taught me the first time um, you came on, which is this phrase I just have loved ever since, Isaac. I use it all the time. Be your own credential. And in that context, your point around Googling, I, I, I now say this thanks to you all the time. Hey, uh, Susie, what's the first thing that happens when somebody Googles you? Well, guess what? In today's world, and I'm just parroting you back to you, from a first impression perspective, that's kind of the most important thing that happens. We get introduced to somebody or maybe somebody's applying for a job or whatever it is, but we have some level of interest in that other person. I do it in my life today all the time as a podcaster, you know, we get bombarded with people who want to get on the podcast. Well, I Google them, you know, or Candy Googles them. What comes up? Oh, a bunch of nothing. Well, you're making this easy to say no now, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's never, it, what's so cool is the, the power to the individual in the market is so immense right now because of the information age. It's never been easier to have ownership over your own personal brand, you know, to, to be the, the category designer of the category of you and to say, I get to, I get to sort of showcase what I'm all about to the world in a way that I have so much more control over than ever before. It's not just like, oh, well, I come from a bad family with a bad family name, so therefore my reputation sucks. You have the ability to make a reputation to truly be your own credential um, in a way that hasn't been possible before. And I think like, the, you know, relying on, I got a degree and I slapped it on a piece of paper called a resume and hopefully that does enough work for me to impress you. Like, I'm sorry, paper credentials aren't going to launch your career, whether you have them or not. You, you got to be your own credential. And that's, a, that's not a scary thing. That's a huge opportunity that should make you excited. And as part of that, you got to take... Um uh, control over your online presence, right? You got to have yep. some kind of a digital footprint in the world because that's really where where people go. And I'm always amazed. You know, most people don't have a personal website. And to your point, most people aren't. You don't have to be the world's greatest blogger, but sharing their ideas or whatever it is. And and look, it may not come naturally to some people who are more introverted and, and so forth. And and uh, you know, I can get sort of grumpy about. My, even myself having to be on social media, sometimes I go, ah, fuck, this is all bullshit. You know, it's easy <laughs> to go to that place. But the reality is um, it is powerful when used right and people are going to Google you and what they see on your LinkedIn profile and, and whether or not you have a website and what you're doing on Twitter and, you know, uh, are you doing ass selfies on Instagram or what are you doing, <laughs> right? That, that it turns out that matters. <laughs> yeah, and, and, that's, and that's, we want to make this really easy for people and so that, that's really what Crash is like, hey, let's, let's create some tools where you can make a beautiful profile very simply. And we can kind of help you understand how to showcase some of these skills and kind of 
help walk you through the elements of something that's a, co- a compelling face to take into the professional world, to, to have ownership over your brand um, without feeling overwhelmed by there's a million things I could go do. It's all scattered. You know, does it matter? Do I need to be on every platform? Do I need to? Let's start by focusing in on a couple buckets of roles, a couple skills associated with those hard skills, soft skills, tools, and building a profile to signal that. And now you've got your kind of base framework. You've got your, you you are your own credential, so to speak, and you can take that with you to the most exciting part personally for me, which is the the third part of this, tailor a pitch to each Well, this is something I've been dying to talk to you about because one of the things I hear from young people who are getting their heads straight on the first couple things, they're trying to find a direction and they're trying to build themselves up so they'd be valuable in those types of roles. They say, God, it's so hard today, you know, and uh, I can't talk to anybody anymore. You got to fill out these, these forms on a website. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a gal a little while ago, who's a nurse and she's like, I, you know, keep submitting all this stuff and hear very little back. And, and so uh, sort of the, 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 the recruitment website just like the customer service website for some companies is an awesome way to uh, ignore the shit out of you. <laughs> so, and, we, and when we, you have to conform to their form, they're literally trying to make everybody look the same. They're trying to squeeze differentiation out so that they can score them on some fucking, I don't know, you're going to tell me. But in this world where I hear this from young people all the time, which is, hey, how do I get my foot in the door, particularly if there's all these digital road, roadblocks for me, um, how do I tailor the pitch? How do I knock down that door when there's you know a digital iron guard? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is uh, this is where you crash the party. So you can you can wait on the guest list and make sure you've got the dress code and whatever, or you can enter the side door and uh, and crash the party. And so the the approach that we take is: look, if you treat the sort of job hunt process as a numbers game, where the the higher number of you know resumes I can blast out, uh, the better my odds. You're not going to do very well because it's not. Not all activities are equal. So I would say, if you take ten companies, take a little time to research them and prepare a tailored pitch for them, you're going to have better returns than if you send out a hundred resumes or applications. And I mean, we talk to hiring managers who are like, "Yeah, we do job postings, but we don't even look at them." That's not where we get our, our candidates from, you know, recruiters or referrals inside or whatever. We do the job posting just so that it, you know, from a PR standpoint, it shows that we have open jobs. But um, and that's not always the case. But to not just be a, another resume in a pile, the idea of, and this is where the dating market analogy is really, I think, the most profound. If you said, all right, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to all the singles bars and I'm going to put together a little sheet that says the 10 reasons I'm dateable. And I'm just going to start handing them out everywhere. Hey, hey, hey. And it just says, you know, dear name, you know, dear person's name. You know, some people do this with their cover letters. They forget it says dear company name, right? It's like so generic, blast it out. Here are reasons I'm dateable. What are the odds people are going to be like, wow, I'm going to give you a call, right? Compare that to, I'm going to go to the bar, wherever it is that you go to, to find someone to date. And there's one person and they're, and, and they're interesting to me. I'd like to go on a date with them. So I walk up and I ask them a few questions about them. I learn a little bit about them. And then I say, hey, I am really fascinated by you. You know what I like about you? I like this about you. This is interesting. I would love to spend more time and learn more about you because you're a fascinating person. Would you be up for a date? 
they're so much more likely to say yes. Companies, the people making these hiring decisions, they're human beings too. And so if you say, here's my resume, I would love the opportunity for you to give me a paycheck, right? They get that all the time versus, hey, Isaac, I saw that you do this, this, and this. I spent a, a little bit of time looking at your company's you know, site and looking at your products reviews on Amazon. So amazing. I love how you do X, Y, and Z. I went ahead and took the time to put together this short little you know, two-page PDF about some ideas I have. I would love to talk more about it because you guys are an awesome company. That's really hard to say no to. That's really hard to not at least say, well, I guess I could give them a chance and give them an interview. So if you take the time, and what we love to do is like, take a company, learn about them, and then actually make something for them. It can be real small. We had a guy that we hired that came to us a couple of years ago and was like, hey, I want to do a, work in a marketing role for you. And he just had a, a, a YouTube, a private link he shared on YouTube of him walking through, here's a bunch of audience segments that I think would be good for you guys to experiment with some Facebook ads. I went and I ran the numbers on these audiences, blah, blah, blah. These ad campaigns would be this. I actually did a $5 test of this and blah, 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 blah. And he just broke it down and gave it to, and we were like, everybody else just sent us a resume. We had to at least give that guy an interview. So this idea of tailoring pitches, identifying a couple companies that you think are cool, take some time to learn about them, put something together for them, make it hard for them to say no. Be so, so undeniable, right? They can't ignore you because it's like, well, this is just interesting. I can't, I can't turn away. Nobody else does this. That's a really, really big deal. Can you just say be undeniable one more time for me? Be undeniable. You know, I actually got a great story about this from a, a CEO um, that I just talked with yesterday about somebody later in her career. This is a, a hilarious story. She was like, she was doing a like sea turtle tracking for like a environmental nonprofit for several years. And that was kind of her field. And she was like, I'm done with this. I want to get out of here. I want to move into a startup. And so she applied for this role at a, at a fintech startup. And they're like, this candidate is so odd. She did like sea turtle tracking. I don't, I don't understand. Her application's good, but whatever. Then the next day in the mail, a physical portfolio of all kinds of stuff that she had put together, research she had done for them, all these really interesting pieces of collateral arrived. And they're like, well, that's unusual. No one else did that. That's kind of impressive, but still. And then over the next two weeks, she found everybody in town that had any connection to that company and asked them to call and give her a reference. So different people at the company were getting calls from different people. And then they were like, they would go to the person hiring for this role and be like, hey, somebody just called me and told me that this one candidate is really awesome and she applied. It was like, okay, we can't ignore this person. We, um, she's persistent. If nothing else, we got to give her her day. And she ended up getting hired and has been crushing it there. But that's somebody that's like, that's hard to, to deny that person at least an interview, you know, and, and, and you can't fake it. If you're not interested in a company and you're just like, hey, you know, blah, 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 take the time to actually be interested. If it's a company you're a customer of, that's even better. Hey, I've been using your product. I love it. I would love to come and do this for you. Um, man, nobody does that and it stands out. I'm telling you. And so what I really hear you saying is this numbers game idea, it's not about, you know, I filled out 250 application digital applications today it's how do i surround the hr department and i want to be explicit here I, i'm a huge fan i know you are too of get to the hiring manager you know yes. if you're going to be working for the director of carbon then then don't just go to the hr folks or the recruitment folks 
figure out a way to surround that director or whoever it is, and then do a set of shit that makes you undeniable. You know, one thing that you you can do today that I love, it's a real simple one, send them a book. Yep. You know, if you're going to work in sales ops, um, what are the three sales ops books that you really loved? Send them those books and say, hey, uh, Jimmy, you know, I'm not sure if you've read these books, but I really loved them or, you know, whatever it is. And, And just... Find those ways. I love how you said it in the side door, because so many people mm-hmm. are trying to get through the front door. It's almost impossible to differentiate, to distinguish yourself. But the side door and the other thing I love about what you're saying is everybody tries to do things digitally. They email them this and that, find them on LinkedIn. And those are all you know potentially good things. But in a world where everything's digital, do something physical. Show, yep. Send them something. Um, and then, of course, the other one that's a big one for me. I never in my entire career, Isaac, not a once, got a job through a headhunter. Never in my career did I get a job by applying for anything. All the jobs I got were through either direct or indirect relationships. And so in that regard, if I'm a 23-year-old person and I'm, and I'm figuring all this stuff out and now I'm trying to make myself undeniable and and a pitch. How do I develop those relationships so that the director of Ding Dongery um, will go? Wait a minute. I, I have to talk to this. You know, this Christopher kid. You start with what you already have, with what you already know, and you just you say, "What's the what's the low hanging fruit? Who are people I already know?" And ask them. So you know, maybe you have a neighbor who owns a small business, and you're like, "Hey." I want to get to know people that are at companies that are hiring this kind of thing. Do you know any? And the odds are maybe he knows somebody and he can say, well, here are a couple. Maybe he won't introduce you. Maybe he'll just give you some names. And then you go to them and say, hey, my neighbor owns this company. And he said that you guys sell this product to them. And I'm really interested. Could I take you to lunch and just ask you about your work and ask you about your role? What do you, what do like you look the, for? Was it Sesame Street? Remember that song? Who are the people in your neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sesame exactly. Street. I mean, I'll give, I'll give you an analogy from um, in, raising, uh, in raising funding for Crash. So if I were to say, okay, uh, I want to raise some venture capital. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go find 100 VC firms and blast them a cold email with the exact same pitch deck attached that says, hey, I'm raising money. Uh, let's talk. The returns are going to be way lower than even one. So I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. There's like one VC firm in Charleston, right? <laughs> and because it's a small town, I know somebody who, who knows somebody there. And I ask for an introduction. I go get lunch with the guy and I don't pitch him. I just say, hey, I'm thinking about the fundraising world. You know, here's what my company's all about. Do you have any ideas of anybody? He gives me the names of three VCs, also small VCs in the Southeast. And he's like, yeah, here's some people. And maybe he did an email introduction for a couple. I get on the phone with them. I say, hey, I'm looking at fundraising. I'm learning about the process. Do you know anybody, whatever? About two levels in, I've got a list of 25 VCs that I have been personally introduced to in some capacity or another. And the, and it keeps going up market to people that are higher and higher with more, you know, harder to access. And after a lot of these conversations, eventually, not only am I going after them, they're talking about me to each other in the background. Oh, that kid reached out to me. He reached out to you as well. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, blah, blah, blah. I hope they call me a kid. I'm 35. I'm not really a kid anymore. But, and, and if you- You're a kid to me. (laughs) I appreciate that. If you just start with what you know, even if it's only a few people and treat it like ask people, 
for who they know um, and just do it truly as like an exploration. You know, a lot of people say, oh, start with a network you know. So what do they do? They go to the first person they know that has a job and says, hey, get me a job. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not really what I mean. It's go ask them, hey, I'm, I'm thinking I might be interested in this. Is, who, who's the person at your company who does that? Do you think I can meet with them and ask them about what they do every day? And if they were hiring, what would they want to see? And do they know anyone that's hiring? And before you know it, you can actually have, I call it a hunting list. You want to build your hunting list up, you know, and, and start with just two or three, but then keep adding to it. And if you, and, and again, you can have your list, but if you take, if you're going to spend 10 hours on the job hunt, I would argue 10 hours going deep, researching and putting together a project or a pitch for one company is going to have higher returns than 10 hours spent on 20 different companies doing a basic resume. Even if you don't get the job with that company, you will learn more, you will gain skills in the process, and you will likely build a reputation with other companies. They'll be like, whoa, okay, this one, I didn't hire you, but I'm going to pass you on to my friend because you're kind of impressive. Right. There's also something in here I just want to uh, underscore and see, get, get your reaction. I get this email, this LinkedIn, it feels like almost daily. Oh, hi, Christopher, blah, blah, whatever, whatever. They found me, they like me, whatever it is. I, I, and I want to network with you. <laughs> and then they say, like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll drive to Santa Cruz, happy to take you out to dinner. Uh, I just want to network with you. And look, I don't know if this works with, does this work with anybody? I mean, the person who's eager to say yes to that is probably someone who's not that valuable, right? Yes. If you got time <laughs> to network for no fucking reason. Oh, just, I'll just fucking meet with you. I don't know who you are. You don't know. You're probably not the man or the woman. The, the man has right. no time. So the thing that makes me crazy, and I, I hope people stop getting this advice, is when somebody comes up to me or emails me or LinkedIn's me and says they want to network with me, I want to punch them in the face. You, you have to have something specific, right? Oh, I've been listening to your podcast and I, I, I have an idea for you or fucking something. Or, or, or I would like to pick your brain about whatever it is, right? Now, I may or may not have time to do it and most busy yep. people don't, but the more I find the more specific you can make those sorts of requests. When in point of fact, you're building a network. That's what you're yes. trying to do. And look, the recipient of that is not a moron. When a guy at my stage of life and, and, and career and so forth gets an email from a 22-year-old person, I understand what they're trying to do. And I was that person. I'm not, and I think most people aren't idiots. But at the same time, uh, the mistake I see people making is they do this sort of generic network with you bullshit as opposed to, yeah. to your point. They've done some homework and they have something specific. Maybe they're trying to figure out a way to add some value, whatever it is. Yes. And then, look, I probably still don't have time to do it. Uh, but but if maybe somehow you're if, the only way you're going to break through, let me say it this way, is by being specific, by being undeniable, as opposed to the generic, I want to network with you bullshit. Yeah. If it's clear you're coming to me because you're interested in me, it's harder for me to say no to you than if it's clear you're just interested in building your network in general. And so I happen to be one of the many people that you see as, as being able to do that. And, and I also think there's just two things you mentioned. One is don't hold the, don't hold people hostage by hiding the question and saving it for a meeting. Hey, there's something I want to ask you. Can we meet? It's like, well, just freaking ask it right now. I may or may not answer over email, but I think that the main thing is 
again, this is not about, oh, this is going to guarantee success. It's about increasing the probability of success. And if, if you were to say, okay, Chris Lockhead, he's written some books. He's got this awesome podcast. He's kind of in this category of like people who are creating cool stuff and ideas. Maybe I want to do marketing and promotion for podcasters. Maybe him, but maybe anybody. I'm open to it and I'm, I'm interested in that world or, or podcast production. I want to produce and whatever. If I said, hey, Chris, you know, could you help me? I'm trying to get a job in podcast production. Well, there's fairly low odds that you're going to do anything. If I said, Chris, big fan of the show. I've listened to almost every episode. I took some of the highlights of some of your best quotes and I put them together in this two-minute YouTube montage with this really cool music in the background. Here you go. Thought you'd enjoy it. And that's it. Now, everybody, everybody's a little narcissistic, right? If you make me look epic by mixing up my sound bites in a cool video, I'm going to be like, wow, that's neat. I might even tweet it out. Then maybe a couple days or a week later, you're like, hey, hope you like that video. Do you know anyone who's looking for this type of service in the podcast world? If you do, I'd love to. I'm kind of trying to break in. If not, no big deal. Now, the odds are much greater that you're going to be like, hey, man, that video was really cool. I tweeted it out. People seem to like it. Um, I've got this friend over here that just started a podcast. He might be yes. looking for somebody. No promises, right? The odds are much greater. It's, it's just like the whole content marketing idea or whatever you want to call it now. But it's like, give your give your potential customers something before you ask them for something. And it's a, it definitely increases your odds of success. Amen. Hallelujah. So Isaac, I want to be super respectful of your time. I, I got to ask you, um, you know, what are the, what's the big sort of thing you hope people take from this new book? Yeah. So the big thing is if I could put it in a one phrase, it's be your own credential. Now what that really means is don't leave it to fate or don't wait and rely on things that are out of your control. Well, I did the best I could. I sent in my application. I guess I just wait and hope to get picked. Flip that mindset and say, I'm in the driver's seat. I'm going at this thing with an experimental mindset, a playful mindset. I'm going to be the one that's initiating, that's trying stuff, that's taking feedback or lack of feedback and adapting, adjusting my pitch, learning how to make myself more valuable. I'm going out and saying, here we go, world. I'm coming for you rather than I checked off all the boxes. Now I just wait for somebody to give me a call. You know, you got to flip that mindset. It doesn't matter what credentials you do or don't have. No one's going to start paying you because of them. You've got to go out there and take charge. This is, a, this is an empowering message more than anything. Yeah, it changes the way you do things. It takes a little bit of work and rethinking. It's a lot more fun and it's a lot more effective. So that's really the, the core message. I love it. Get busy. Get forward on your skis. Differentiate yourself. Fucking make something legendary happen. I like it. I, that last quote right there, you could put that to music and make an inspirational video. <laughs> well, Isaac, I can't thank you enough for your time. You know, I'm in love with the business or I wouldn't be involved. Uh, thank you so much for including me in this book. I had a blast, um, you know, writing the foreword. And, and, and the reason, you know, I'm just like you. you, this is why you and I have connected for at least from my perspective, which is I care a lot about our young people. Uh, I care a lot about people being a lot more entrepreneurial, whether they're entrepreneurs or not, this, this idea that you're a personal entrepreneur, right? That, that you are responsible for your career, you're responsible for your life, and there's things that you can do proactively to design your career and to design your life. And, and the other thing I, I love and appreciate about what you're doing is, look, as you and I have talked in the past, the traditional university path and all that, it's very effective, 
It's been pro- proven to, to be you know, effective for a, a, a meaningful number of people. But there's some of us that, in my case, that path wasn't even available. And there's some of us where that path is not the right path. And I think many of us who fall into that sort of, I'll use the word misfit or other bucket, um, where that's not necessarily our world or a world where we're super successful, you know, we can be made to feel shitty about that. But the reality is there are many paths to success. And if the more traditional one isn't for you, there are a lot of other alternatives. And even if the traditional one is for you, you know, this book and this mindset, if you have, if you've developed those skills in a traditional university environment, well, why not use this as a way to tip the scale? So I just, I just think that Doing things for young people to help them, whether it's find their place or make their place in the world, it's something that I share your passion on, and I can't thank you enough for including me in it. Yeah, absolutely, man. You're uh, you're you're the perfect guy for a company that's you know all about crashing the party. So go out there, (laughs) go out there, do things your own way, crash your career, and uh, have fun doing it. Bless you, Isaac. Thank you so much, my friend. Stay legendary. You too, Chris. Yeah, Isaac Morehouse back on the podcast. I'm sure sure hope you enjoyed that. Now, in business, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And today, more than ever, you want to be on top of the seminal numbers that drive your business and your growth. And that's where my friends at NetSuite come in. Imagine having every critical number you need to manage and grow your business on your smartphone, on your tablet, of course, on your computer, anywhere, anytime. NetSuite makes that happen. And with some amazing dashboards, you can stay on top of all elements of the business. Sales, finance, accounting, orders, inventory, and HR instantly. Thousands of the best-known brands and companies and fast-growing companies and nonprofits use NetSuite to manage their business. As a matter of fact, fact, NetSuite has purpose-built capabilities for companies Uh, in many different industries and organizations in many different industries. And it's all available now to you, and it's surprisingly cost-effective. As a listener to this podcast, NetSuite is making a special offer. Go to netsuite.com slash different, and there you'll be able to set yourself up for a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. Because today, you got to know your numbers, because if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And with NetSuite, you'll always know. You can find us on the web at lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com. Remember while you're there to subscribe. That's the only way we can develop a direct relationship with you. If for some reason you want to email us, blackhole at lockhead.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Lockhead. All right. We would like to thank the amazing, fun, great new book, playful new book that I was proud enough to uh, write the foreword to by our friend and guest Isaac Morehouse Crash Your Career Uh, pick up a couple hundred copies today why don't you (laughs) the amazing folks at One Life Fully Lived that's the number one lifefullylived.org this is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life a podcast that I love Grumpy Old Geeks with our friend and guest on episode number six of Follow Your Different Jason DeFilippo now if you're in the Silicon Valley area and you're in the B2B business, you uh, sell to other enterprises, why not check out atre.net, A-T-R-E dot N-E-T. They build custom websites for B2B businesses in the technology industry. Check them out. 
and the incredible folks at Habitat for Humanity. Habitat is trying to create a world where everybody has a decent place to live. Why not give them a hand doing that at habitat.org. All right, I need to remind you that today's uh, oddcast, today's oddcast, this oddcast, is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. Uh, we need to warn you that clearly this oddcast is produced in a studio that does contain nuts. Remember to design a legendary career. Buy John's crazy socks. Um, teach kids how to build a legendary career. Thank you, Dandy Candy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to actor Lori Loglin. Sorry, Lori, we just ran out of time for you. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. It really means the world to me and everyone involved with this podcast. Stay legendary, my friends. Until we hang out again, follow your difference.